Hi, this is Jeff from Alberta, Canada, and you are listening to Rico and the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Sure, alert. The Time Tunnel. Well, hello everyone, and thanks Jeff for that intro. This is Rico, and you're listening to Trexin Sci-Fi. This will be podcast number 129 for July the 8th. 2007. Going to have a great show for you. Going to talk about one of my all-time favorites of the Star Trek movie series. Uh, Way up there. I really like this movie a lot. Uh, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country is going to be the main topic for today. Going to have a collectible later on. Got a couple of listener calls to play as well. So I think think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, Sit back. uh, Enjoy uh, this week's podcast. I thought I'd start with the it's about a two-minute-long trailer to Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, rather than playing the intro-type music or anything like that. So here is uh, the trailer, and I will be right back to start this week's podcast. The Klingon Empire has 50 years of life left to it. To offer Klingons a safe haven within Federation space is suicide. They're animals. Jim, they are dying. And you, Captain Kirk, are to be our first olive branch. Me? The galaxy stands at a crossroads. This is the Starship Enterprise. We've been ordered to escort you to your meeting on Earth. Guess who's coming to dinner? I have so wanted to meet you, Captain. One warrior to another. Right. On the verge of peace. The undiscovered country. The future. On the brink of war. We come in peace, and you blatantly defy that we haven't fired. According to our databanks, we have. I shall blow you out of the stars. Now, the crew of the Starship Enterprise will not be the instigators of full-scale war on the eve of universal peace. They're coming about. Battle stations. Fights not to win battles. Incoming. Signal our surrender. Captain? We surrender. But to end them forever. consider an attempt to rescue them an act of war there will never be a better time this is captain sulu uss excelsior we stand ready to assist you this is fun you do prefer it this way as it was meant to be Ah! warrior to warrior you cannot take much more of this Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Hello, everyone. Yes, uh, that's the, uh, I think it's the the theatrical, let me say that right, theatrical trailer to Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which we're going to be talking about today on the podcast. Welcome to the show, everyone. 
Thank you so much for tuning in once more, or if you're new, uh, I appreciate uh, you checking out the show. I hope you'll enjoy it. Uh, basically, this show, for those that are new or fairly new, we talk uh, about science fiction in the news, Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, new things coming out in both uh, television and movies related to sci-fi, some books a little bit, uh, and all kinds of things, comics occasionally. Uh, it's uh, well, it's kind of uh, a weekly sci-fi geekery, uh, I'll say, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I also want to just mention that uh, if you haven't uh, done it in a while and you do enjoy the podcast, to go over to Podcast Alley and, and toss a vote up. It's a relatively new month. It's uh, July, and each month, uh, if you're a fan of the show, I really appreciate it if you go to Podcast Alley and vote for Trucks in Sci-Fi. And also, uh, when you get a chance, put something up on iTunes for the show as well. So there's Rico's, uh, or there's my uh little pitches for the week. Uh, let's get a little bit more business out of the way. Uh, to contact the show if you ever want to, it's treksf at gmail.com. You can also call the voicemail line, which is, uh, let me look at my little uh, post note here quickly. Yes, it's uh, the number is 206-666-127. And that will, uh, you can record a short little message and it'll probably make it on the show. So we've got all that out of the way. Well, uh, as uh, I typically say each week, start off with kind of what's been going on with me. Uh, this week was, uh, as uh, always, rather busy, hectic, kind of crazy. We had the 4th of July, and uh, the, right after the 4th of July, I uh, got myself a new vehicle. Traded in the uh, sturdy and very reliable uh, Pontiac Grand Prix that I've been driving for, well, about seven years, I guess. I got it in, in, the, in 2000, summer of 2000, so it's about seven years old. Had about 110,000 miles, so it was about time. Uh, it was starting to show its age just a tiny bit, uh, but it was uh, in still in good shape, so I decided to get rid of it while it was uh, still running well. And uh, don't like to drive vehicles down to the ground if I can avoid it. Uh, it's uh, Well, I have a long drive to work each day, so that it's kind of important to have reliable transportation. So I picked out uh, what I got was a uh, another Pontiac. I got a G6 uh, hardtop convertible, which... <laughs> I have to admit, is uh, is quite a lot of fun. I, I live in Michigan, as I've mentioned before on the show, and the, you know we don't have a lot of great weather here throughout the year. I mean, we probably have a good six months of uh, bad, cold weather, either cold, raining, snow, ice, who knows, whatever. Uh, but we do have a fairly nice summer and, and spring and fall, which uh, I'm hoping to be able to enjoy it uh, for quite a while here before the weather turns bad again in you know later in the fall. So it's. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, tri- car drives great, and the, the hardtop-type convertible, uh, for people out there that have seen any of these, on there's a few vehicles that do this now. It's it's pretty slick. It looks basically like a regular car uh, until you push a little button inside, and then the hardtop comes down, and, and then you've got a convertible. And uh, it's very easy to put it up and down. Just one little button press uh, for each function takes about maybe 30 seconds. Uh, I wanted to do a little short video podcast last week after I got it. Uh, I did throw a little video up, a uh, clip of it up on YouTube. Uh, just search for Trex in Sci-Fi, which is my user ID on YouTube, and you'll see it. Uh, I'd like to do another one a little bit more fancy, maybe with some titles. And uh, also the video that I shot of it, we kind of shot it from the front of the car, so you don't see the 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 roof move very much but uh it's a fun car nice radio system uh drives well and the hardtop is very nice i've always kind of wanted to have a convertible just to try it out for uh for a little while and, and see what that's like and uh i decided to take the plunge this time so 
but that's uh, well, I guess it's kind of science fiction. I don't know. There's there's a uh, you know, years ago, I remember watching the Jetsons, and I think the little tops on those. Well, of course, those cars flew in the sky. You know, they were flying cars. But, you know, these these ideas of uh, uh, cars that have tops that go up and down, they almost transform, which uh, brings me to the other subject I wanted to mention. Uh, went with the family on the 4th of July uh, to see the Transformers movie, to see uh, giant uh, robots, uh, cars turn into giant robots, which was kind of funny because... Uh, and a little ironic since I was picking up this car. I got it the day after that on July 5th. I got the car. But the the Transformers, of course, are the, these big trucks and cars that transform into the giant robots. And I never uh, really watched Transformers. The cartoon never really was into it. I think I was a little too old for it at the time. Uh, although I do still enjoy watching cartoons. But for some reason, that never really uh, caught on with me. I, I caught a few of them occasionally. But... This movie, though, I really enjoyed. I, I get. I went into it again with with very little uh, Transformer knowledge or uh, background or information, and uh, my my two sons and my wife Lynn and and we all went to it. Uh, like I said, a uh, matinee on the Fourth of July, and uh, I I just think it was one of the most fun movies I've seen in a long time for uh, you know this summer and even beyond that. Uh, this movie is really to me nothing but fun. There's a uh, Shia LaBeouf is is the main character, uh, the actor or human person in the movie that you follow along, and he ends up with kind of uh, having one of the Transformers. Uh, he, I'm not, I don't think I'm giving too much away. It's in the it's in the trailers, but you know his car that he ends up having is is one of the Transformers, which is kind of neat. And he kind of discovers all these th- things going on with this, and it's just an amazing movie. Michael Bay, uh, probably the the current king of action movies. I think uh, just uh, pulls out all the stops. Great action uh, and a lot of humor, a lot of fun stuff. And, you know, and there's a good little story in there too. It, it's, uh, I, you know, it, I think most people, most of the people I've heard that have seen it, have really enjoyed it. Everyone in my family, at least, really enjoyed it. Uh, some of the critics have been, I think, overall, they've been pretty, pretty okay with the movie. But you know, there's always going to be people out there that saying, ah, it's just these giant robots. It's dumb. Blah blah blah. Whatever. You know, what do you expect? The movie's called Transformers, I guess. I mean, if you want to see something more serious, well, you know, that's out there. I try to judge movies a little bit more on what their intent is rather than comparing, you know, something like uh, Transformers to The Great Gatsby or Gone with the Wind or or whatever. I mean, you can't compare one movie to another unless they're kind of in the same category, I think. But Transformers just really did it for me. I, I highly, highly recommend you go see it in the movie theater. I don't think you'll be disappointed, and I think you would be disappointed to watch it on your TV, even if you have a nice uh, home theater set up at, at, at your house, because even even then, I think you'll miss some of the just the amazing effects and action in this movie if you're not watching it in a movie theater. And, and it's a lot of fun to see this with a crowd, I, I think. So that's it, Transformers. Go see it. It's really cool. Okay, this week I'm going to kind of skip over news and that uh, it's been rather quiet in the news front anyway in sci-fi land. Uh, just a couple little things I did want to mention. I, I might have mentioned these on last week's podcast, but uh, the Sci-Fi Channel has started to show the third season of Doctor Who. That's showing on Friday nights, uh, at least in the United States. So check that out. And also Eureka is coming back, uh, which has been mentioned uh, before. Uh on the show, I know I've mentioned it, and James Earl has done some uh, discussion about that. But that is 
coming back this Tuesday, which is, let's see, that's July the 10th. Yes, Tuesday night on the Sci-Fi Channel in the States. So check both of those shows out. Uh, But I do have another book review uh, by The Duster that I was going to play for you right now. And um, that's about, I think it's another Star Trek novel. But, well, here you go with... uh, the Duster's Review, yes, it's uh, Starless World, which is a, another Star Trek book, so listen to this. Hey everyone, this is Duster, and this is your Trek Book Review, brought to you by ReadMoreSciFi.com. The book we're going to talk about this week is The Starless World by Gordon Eklund. This book was published in November of 1978. Um, although this book had some interesting ideas, unfortunately it, it I didn't like it that much. It, there, was, there was a lot of things that I found a little lacking in this book that uh, there it was a good try there were some very interesting sci-fi elements one of the neatest things with the fact that the the main planet on this was the starless world was a rogue planet which actually ended up being a Dyson sphere which is a really interesting idea of a, a sphere encompassing a star which gives like every surface of the interior of the sphere habitable land um it could have gone really well i i've never heard of gordon Eklund before although he has written uh, a few more other science fiction books but unfortunately i did not really like how this one how this story flowed and how it came together a, a, a nice thing is that we had some background on some of the uh, other characters besides kirk Spock and McCoy. We had some nice background of her, and her father was actually in this uh, book. So it, it, it's it's good to see them flesh out some of the other characters, and uh, that's one of the nice things about the novels. I think that they go into a lot more background, um, which you know it's not considered canon, but it, it's still you know we all know and love these characters, so it's good to hear about. Um, so the Starless World, I, I'm not going to give it a great recommendation. I, I'm going to end it up. Uh, giving it uh, two out of five, live long and prospers. Um, it's still got your, you know all your favorite characters, and it's still decent stuff. But it's just not up to par with some of the other books that uh, I have known and love in Star Trek. So, uh, uh, as always, I'm gonna. This is Duster, and uh, I'm gonna leave you with the following: Read more science fiction. Ta-ta. Well, thanks as always, Duster, for that uh, review. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh... Gordon Eklund, I believe, is more, if I, I think I've read some things about him, I think he's more of a scientist than he has written some science fiction, which those kind of go together sometimes. There are quite a few, I think, sci- people who are like real-life scientists who turned into uh, turned into sci-fi authors eventually. But it's, uh, I, I think a long time ago, probably when that book first came out, I read it. Uh, it sounds familiar, the Dyson Sphere concept. You know, they did that with... Uh, the episode relics in next generation the one where scotty comes back uh he's uh he's in the um transporter buffer you know on that ship that crashes aboard that or crashes onto that dyson sphere that the um enterprise finds uh with picard's crew finds uh scotty you know locked into the buffer there anyway that's that's where at least i remember uh from star trek where another place they've shown the dyson sphere before and i think there are other novels out there that have explored that concept too but thanks as always for your review duffster and again definitely check out uh, his site at readmoresci-fi.com okay i wanted to mention here that uh on the forums on the treks in sci-fi forums which just go to treksf or treksinsci-fi.com 
check the uh, click the forums link and check that out. Uh, if you're a member there, uh, great. If you're not, join up because the the third season of the RPG Trek. Uh, I guess I don't want to try. I guess you call it a game, uh, although I think it's a lot more than that. Uh, it's basically a, a, a writing experience and an adventure series that's created online uh, through. You kind of create your own little character and you run through certain storylines and missions that that uh, that happen on the forum. And you know, somebody posts something and then somebody else posts something else. I don't know if I'm describing it real well, but uh, I just want to encourage everyone if you. Uh, if you like Star Trek and you like role-playing, uh, this might be something definitely you should check out. Uh, just go to uh, the forums at the website and take a look. Uh, you do have to be a forum member currently for that area of the the website, although I might change that soon, uh, perhaps. Uh, I've been keeping it kind of that way just because it's a, uh, a sort of a little side benefit of being on the forums to participate in the RPG game. But we are starting a new run of it, uh, the third season, Uh and I encourage everyone to take a look if you're interested in role-playing and Star Trek. All right, I'm going to uh, take uh, just a very short break here, and then we're going to be back with the discussion about Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Be right back. Rick, hello. It's Alec Baldwin. My heart is filled with joy. That's right. I am in love. In fact, I'm so in love with my new show, 30 Rock, that I, a famous star of stage and screen, and personally calling people to tell them to watch the show. Yes, even you. Even if you work in science, and your only joy in life is reading books, you get a personal call from me, Alec Baldwin, and I'm so serious about you watching 30 Rock that I've come to Michigan to make sure you take me seriously. In fact, I'm at your family room window right now. And by the way, I'm not above telling you, you have nice eyes. Watch 30 Rock. Bye. <laughs> that just cracks me up. Uh, yeah, that's Alec Baldwin uh, who plays uh, this character, Jack Donaghy, on uh, 30 Rock, uh, which is a very funny show, not at all science fiction related, although there's a lot of Star Wars uh, references in it because uh, Liz Lemon, the main character played by Tina Fey on the show, is a big Star Wars fan, uh, and she slips in a lot of Star Wars references on the show. So it's in reruns right now. So check it out if you haven't had a chance. Uh, uh, a nice, funny half-hour half show. Uh, very kind of kooky, and I, I really have enjoyed it. So let's get into Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, directed by Nicholas Meyer. came out in uh, December of 1991. Now, this, this Star Trek movie was basically the last one in the series of what I call the original cast uh, movies. They did do Star Trek Generations after this, which uh, had uh, a couple of characters, a couple of the actors from the original series, uh, mainly Kirk, of course, with uh, Chekhov and Scotty in it as well. But this one really was the one that last, you know, brought together the classic crew, the classic cast in the movie, uh, in the movie world or movie form. Now, this was just directed again by Nicholas Meyer, who did the uh, probably the favorite of everyone uh, Star Trek movie, I think, for the most part, especially the Star Trek fans out there, The Wrath of Khan, the second Star Trek movie. He directed that one and then came back to do Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which I'd have to say is probably my second you know, second favorite of the Star Trek movies. I, I enjoyed Star Trek IV, even Star Trek The Motion Picture quite a bit. But I don't know, there's something about the way they really, I thought, 
you know, kind of really classy way that they round, you know, kind of wrapped everything up and wound up the series here. And I do like the story quite a bit in this movie as well. So this is definitely one of the high high ones on my list as far as the movies go um, with the classic cast. I, I really, really enjoy this movie. Uh, there I go with saying really about 100 times, but I greatly enjoy it. I, I got to get a few more adjectives in <laughs> But yeah, I greatly enjoy Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. I've got a couple of listener uh, clips and comments on this movie to play. The first one that I'd like to play is from someone who has called the show before. This is from John in Russia, and he's got some comments about the movie. And then, of course, I've got a nice father and son uh, commentary that I'm going to play after my run-through of the movie. We'll play that at the end. But I wanted to break up these listener calls rather than play them all at the end. So here's uh, John from Russia, his comments on Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and then we'll uh, be right back to get into the, the detail of the movie. Hello, Rico. This is John Semlik from Russia, and I'm just sending in my comments about uh, Star the film Star Trek VI. Um, I remember Star Trek VI being one of the films that I anticipated the most, uh, probably because it was at the height of my uh, Star Trek TNG fandom, um... And, and stuff like that. I remember being really excited when I heard mentionings of these little connections with TNG episodes at the time, like the Kittermer Conference, which, of course, is only a... Yeah, it doesn't actually have anything to do with the Kittermer Massacre, but was still just a great thing to hear. Um, of course, the... Um, the, the film is an obvious parable to, you know, the events at the time of the... Uh, decline and fall of the USSR and um, that's interesting I uh, it, it's obviously a very optimistic um, parable um, of the events you know and and I think that um, you know if, if we had wanted to make it more realistic possibly it would have been done differently but but the, you know obviously Gene Roddenberry has always been a very optimistic person so I think that that was uh, the way he should have done it. Um, it does make me wonder, you know, what would have Gene Roddenberry's response to 9-11 have been, and what would have he done had he been around? It would have been nice to see uh, something that he would have done in response to that. Anyway, thank you. Well, thanks very much for that, John. Always great to hear from you and your comments about this movie. It, uh, yeah, Gene Roddenberry, uh, his involvement was not great with this film, I don't believe, that, you know, he he was, uh, actually he died uh, just within a couple of days of seeing the final product, seeing this movie, and they dedicated the film, if, at the beginning of it, you'll see it's dedicated to in Gene's memory for this, uh, you know, for this last movie of the classic cast, which was kind of almost, uh, sort of, I, I guess the best word to use maybe would be poetic, I mean, he's, the creator of Star Trek, he he's the one that brought uh, Next Generation and Trek back, and and really without him, I don't believe we would have seen Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, future movies, and so forth. I mean, without that, it would have just kind of dwindled, and and you know, would be people like me would still enjoy the classic series, and that would have been around, but that would be about it. Uh, he was obviously a, a driving force for Star Trek for so many years, and you know, once. Once it was brought into and, and once the next generation came around, you know, Paramount and everyone decided, hey, look, we've got a pretty hot property. It, 
the, the original series never did that great in the ratings, even when it was on uh, NBC on network television. But once they started to see what Next Generation did in syndication, and it was uh, fairly popular there. And the other factor was it was a, it, you know, kind of really started a, a heavy trend to syndicate television shows, which can be, you know, they can be future run for, for years and years and make money off of them, just showing them in reruns. And, of course, eventually all the DVD sales and things like that. Uh, first off, they did VHS sales, but then they went, of course, these days to DVD, and now we're getting into HD and Blu-ray and all that. So they continue to make money off of Star Trek uh, all the time, and they've realized that there's, uh, and like a lot of people do, that create you know sequels to movies, uh, TV shows that go on and on and on. They, they realize when they've got a pretty hot property. So, But that's enough about that. Let's get back to the movie at hand, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Like I said earlier, directed by Nick Meyer. Let's give you some of the statistics here. The story was uh, really heavily influenced by Leonard Nimoy, you know, Spock. Uh, also a story worked on by a guy named Lawrence Connor and Mark Rosenthal, those three. But Leonard Nimoy, I remember reading when this first movie was being um, talked about, had gotten very interested in the whole you know, like you said, John, uh, the parable parable between Russia and the United States, two superpowers, and having spent so many years at odds with each other and generating and spending huge amounts of money and building up their military and all of that. And, of course, you have the, the, the 60s missile crisis and everything that happened. And then eventually Russia just sort of collapsing under the weight of the – of. I'm not at all a Russian or an expert, and, John, you probably know a lot more than, than me on this, but – you know, very much a parallel to what happened here is is going on in this movie. The script was uh, also done by Nick Meyer and Denny Martin Flynn. He's a uh, a pretty, uh, I think he's a fairly Denny Martin Flynn is a pretty successful uh, scriptwriter in Hollywood, from what I've heard, and I know he's worked on quite a few films. But Nick Meyer is also a, a very uh, good writer has written scripts before and and does really well on that and I think there's a lot to be said for having the director be also uh, so um, involved in the writing process for the movie. I have to say some a couple more comments about Nick Meyer. I think that's another reason why I like this movie so much. I just like his direction style, the way he does the movie. You know, the, if you look at the way this movie is shot and filmed and directed, it's it's very he makes the Enterprise look very naval. Uh, the lighting, uh, and a lot of that is other people, you know, art directors and lighting people and all that, but it, the director still ultimately controls all those people. He's the guy in charge. So uh, it really is his movie. Nick Meyer's got a very distinctive style. i got to mention here also before we get into clips and talk about some of the different scenes and some of the parts that I like and comments that the music, uh, Cliff Eidelman is the guy that does the music for this. Originally what I looked up and read that, uh, Nick Meyer wanted to use a classical movie composer called, his name is Holston. He did a, a very classic score that would have probably suited this movie very well called The Planets, where he, he wrote uh, sort of a little piece of music for each of the planets in the solar system. Uh, Mars, very warlike music. Uh, you know, it's very hard to describe. I urge you, if you're a music fan at all, to and if you've never listened to much classical music, to get The Planets by Holst, it's a... A great piece of music, but Cliff Eidelman's work here is is got a very similar sound to some of the some of the themes and some of the musical cues in that uh, symphony that Tolst did, The Planets, and it really is interesting knowing that now and listening to the music in this movie that they use. It, it, there's a lot of similarities. 
A couple other little tidbits and facts for the movie. Uh, this is actually the first movie where you hear uh, uh, Captain Kirk, James Tiberius Kirk, you hear him referred to or his middle name come out. You know, you've heard James T. Kirk throughout the series and other movies, but this is actually the first film or the first on-air, uh, you know, where they, they use the name Tiberius. So that that's kind of uh, an interesting little tidbit. They also You also hear Sulu's first name in this movie, Hikiro, and... And this, uh, I'll talk about it as I go through the clips, but this movie just has a uh, cavalcade, just a ongoing uh, run of different stars that have gone on to do other things, uh, pretty big things, and, and, and I'll go through some of those actors. There's a lot of Star Trek people in this movie, too. Michael Dorn, of course, shows up in this movie as the Klingon uh, defense attorney for Kirk and McCoy. He's supposed to be like the ancestor of Worf. Uh, like his grandfather, and he shows up uh, again in kind of an altered Klingon makeup from what he was doing at the time on Next Generation, and I thought that was a cool little thing to slide in there. You also have Rene Aubergenois. He plays uh, Colonel West, who's one of the conspiracy or the conspirators for this assassination plot uh, that's going on in the movie. Uh, Just lots of people, actors. Christian Slater shows up. He's a... uh, like a lowly little ensign or whatever on the Excelsior with Sulu. He gets, uh, he, I guess, I, I think I read somewhere that his mom was somehow involved with the, the production or in Paramount and got him on the set. And I think he's a, a fairly big Star Trek fan as well. So he pops in and things like that. John Shuck, who was, uh, um, you know, a great TV and film actor. He's uh, He plays a Klingon in this movie. Uh, just Kurtwood Smith, who was on that uh, the 70s show, the dad on there. He is the... Uh, the president of the Federation. He's the president with the weird sort of white hair and mustache. They, they do a cool job making these guys up. And then, of course, you have the the big-time actors who play some of the major guest stars in the movie, David Warner as Gorkin and Christopher Plummer as Chang, General Chang, who does a great job. You know, he's spouting off that Shakespeare and everything during the movie. Uh, really a, an excellent, excellent cast that they put together. Of course, you've got all the principal actors back in their Star Trek roles, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty, Uhura, Chekhov, and, and, and everyone are, are back there. And then you have uh, an, an actress, uh, Kim Cattrall, who plays Valeris. She plays this new Vulcan uh, aboard the Enterprise and sort of a, a Savic or a Savic I can never say that name properly. A replacement a bit for her in this. She's supposed to be another protege of uh, Mr. Spock's, of Leonard Nimoy. Well, not really Leonard Nimoy, of Mr. Spock. But she is aboard the Enterprise and ends up being sort of one of the bad bad people, the bad guys in a way that they find out throughout the course of the movie. Uh, This movie is really interesting because it has sort of three sort of separate little uh, sections to it. You've got the early part of the movie, uh, this peace conference idea, the Enterprise sent off to meet the Klingon ship, and then and then the middle part of the movie, which is uh, where McCoy and Kirk get sent to the penal colony, and then the very end, the wrap-up of how they solve the whole thing. And it's it's paced very well. It's not overly short. It's not overly long. It's a, it's a little under two hours, actually, which is kind of amazing of how much they cr- he crams in this, and Nicholas Meyer does a great job of editing it as well, so... I think I've rambled a bit. Got to get a little sip of Gatorade. But, hey, let's start with a clip. Since I did that episode last week on Flashback, I didn't really record much about the whole uh, blow-up of Praxis and 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 the Excelsior there. I figured we've kind of covered that a lot last week on the show. 
So I'm starting off with uh, a clip. This is in the beginning of the movie with Spock and discuss or discussing at uh, Starfleet headquarters what the situation is and and you know kind of uh, letting Kirk uh, what he's sort of volunteered Kirk for in this mission. So listen to this clip and I'll be right back. Good morning. Two months ago, a Federation starship monitored an explosion on the Klingon moon Praxis. We believe it was caused by overmining and insufficient safety precautions. The moon's decimation means the deadly pollution of their ozone. They will have depleted their supply of oxygen in approximately 50 Earth years. Due to their enormous military budget, the Klingon economy does not have the resources with which to combat this catastrophe. Last month, at the behest of the Vulcan ambassador, I opened a dialogue with Gorkin, Chancellor of the Klingon High Council. He proposes to commence negotiations at once. Negotiations for what? The dismantling of our space stations and star bases along the neutral zone. An end to almost 70 years of unremitting hostility, which the Klingons can no longer afford. Yeah, so there's the setup. There's the situation. Leonard Nimoy um, as Spock uh, telling everyone, you know, that uh, Sarek, his father, has sort of asked him to get involved in this situation. If you remember in uh, Unification, that episode of Next Generation, you know, Spock eventually works his way more towards an ambassador role in the Federation rather than, you know, he moves away from Starfleet as he gets older. And this is kind of the start of that with his trying to... Uh, create this peace negotiation with the Klingons. The the, the awesome and, and the very cool thing about this movie is you, you have a very rare situation of Kirk uh, and Spock really not seeing eye to eye at all on this the, uh, what you know what's going on. Spock is of course very logical. He realizes that this military uh, problem and tension and years of conflict between the Klingon Empire and and Starfleet and the Federation can't continue. It's going to devastate the Klingons, and Spock is all about life and and that, and he's also all about giving people another chance. The interesting thing here, and they don't really sugarcoat it at all, is that Kirk, especially due to his years of conflict with the Klingons, and maybe even more so the death of his son David uh, that happened in Star Trek Three, really hurt him, and he is really having a hard time with this. He has a hard time dealing and trusting the Klingons, and he's not happy about what Spock has, has volunteered him to do. And it, it's very interesting. But, of course, these two are good friends, and Kirk also, to a degree, you know, he's Kirk, but he, he also is still in Starfleet and will follow orders. But uh, it's it's very an interesting dynamic between the two of them. And But eventually, of course, it works out in the end because, you know, they're that's who they are, and that's what they do. They're heroes. They... They figure things out together. They work together, and I kind of found, you know, it's it's almost sometimes good to have somebody that's not exactly seeing eye to eye and agreeing with you on everything because it really makes you think about what your position is and what you want to do. And you, I think, you will resolve at some place, kind of in the middle. And there's actually a a scene later on with Kirk and Spock that I've got a clip for that that almost says that exactly. That, that they're kind of one's more logical, one's more emotional, and that the best is a mix of the two, probably. But that's a very interesting area, and I, I like the way they explore that in this movie. 
Yeah, so let me uh, let me play this next clip. This is just a little after the last one that I played for you. This is a the discussion between Kirk and Spock about a lot of a lot of what I've just mentioned here, and the reaction that Kirk has to what uh, Mr. Spock, uh, Captain Spock, has volunteered him for. We volunteered. There is an old Vulcan proverb: Only Nixon could go to China. How could you vouch for me? That's arrogant presumption. My father requested that I open negotiations. I know your father's the Vulcan ambassador, for heaven's sake. But you know how I feel about this. They're animals, Jim. There is an historic opportunity here. Don't believe them. Don't trust them. They are dying. Let them die. Has it occurred to you that this crew is due to stand down in three months? We've done our bit for king and country. You should have trusted me. Yeah, good good scene there between Shatner and Nimoy on, on you know, their opposing, really, point of view here and, and Kirk really having trouble trusting them. And the the neat thing about this is, is, is kind of all about a... You know, it's really about prejudice, and it's one of the things that Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry fought against for for a long, long time, and realized that in, you know in the future there's no room for that. That in order for you know different races, different beings from other worlds to get along, that they have to learn to work together to trust each other. One thing I was going to mention that I forgot earlier is the 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 situation here really reminds me of a kind of a line that was used in City on the Edge of Forever, one of the original. Uh, very classic uh, Star Trek episodes. There's a line where Edith Keeler and Kirk are walking down the street, and they're talking about you know in the future, you know there'll be this kind of situation where people will take all the all the money and all the resources. And I'm kind of paraphrasing this a little bit, but they'll take all of the effort and money and resources that they've been spent to sort of fight each other and and on war and everything like that, and they'll start spending it on life. And, and I, I just always that that line and and that idea really always struck a chord with me. I mean, if you think about it, and I'm not going to get into heavy political discussions and military situations and all that. And the world is our world is, is is a lot more complicated these days than that. And there's a lot of other factors. But just just for a minute, if you think about if if, if all the countries of the world took all the money that they spent on those kind of things on on security and defense and government, uh, you know, military buildup and budgets and start spending them on, uh, you know, feeding people, clothing people, making their lives better, medical uh, care, uh, housing. I I just, this is going to be fairly quick here, my little humanitarian little pitch. But, you know, if you took all that money and put it in one big pile somewhere, it would be a lot of money. And if everyone could just kind of get together and agree, you know what, hey, Let's just stop fighting. Let's do what's right, right for people, right for the world. I, I just, I, I hope someday we get to that point. I hope my kids can see that point. I don't know, maybe, who knows, maybe we, I'll see that too, uh, or at least heading that way. But it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's got to be that way. There, there's, there's just no alternative, at least in my eyes. So, so there, we'll get away from that, uh, at least present politics. Uh, I guess that's not really politics. Anyway, I think people that listen to this show kind of, I, I think for the most part, are Star Trek fans and probably feel the same way. So uh, I, I forgot to also say at the very beginning, the, the title of this episode, or title of the episode, the title of the movie, The Undiscovered Country, has sort of a little bit of an interesting history. 
this was uh, in, in it was supposed to be used actually as the title of Star Trek II instead of The Wrath of Khan. It was supposed to be called uh, Star Trek: The Undiscovered Country for the second Star Trek movie, but the studio wanted the word Khan in the title and they decided they kind of overruled Nick Meyer on that. So he he decided, hey, the the undiscovered country he could use again. And it's a reference. There's a lot of Shakespeare references in this movie, and that's another Shakespeare reference as well. But it's uh, he it really works, I think, as the title of this movie rather well. You know, the undiscovered country is sort of like the Klingon Empire, and this peace talk between the Federation and the Klingons is is sort of a undiscovered area or undiscovered territory that they're venturing into. Both both sides are are exploring that, and it it fits this movie very well. I'm kind of glad actually that they didn't use it for Wrath of Khan because I think this movie actually uses or suits the movie a lot better even. Uh, let's go on. The next clip. This clip uh, that I'm going to play next is kind of a, an important clip to the movie. It sets the tone. It's a little bit more of Captain Kirk uh, talking about his feelings and his views on the Klingons, and it's his log entry, and this is the one that ends up sort of biting him and coming back to haunt him when he's put on trial later in the movie. So listen to this. Captain's log, star date 9522.6. I've never trusted Klingons, and I never will. I can never forgive them for the death of my boy. Seems to me our mission to escort the Chancellor of the Klingon High Council to a peace summit is problematic at best. Spock says this could be an historic occasion, and I'd like to believe him. But how on earth can history get past people like me? Sorry. You could have knocked. We are almost at the rendezvous, sir. I thought that you would like to know. Right. Permission to speak freely, sir. It is an honor to serve with you. You piloted well out of a space dock, Lieutenant. I've always wanted to try that, sir. Yeah, so there's Valeris doing her little, uh, uh, you know, recording of Kirk, uh, even though he doesn't realize it. So she has those uh, lines there and that uh, kind of uh, bad, you know, evidence against him that's going to be used later. You know, that line in there where she says, uh, oh, I've always wanted to pilot out of space dock. She's supposed to be a lieutenant in Starfleet, uh, a helmsman, and she's never pilot a starship out of out of a space dock before that that's kind of a little hard to swallow sometimes they'll do that in movies and the series or whatever but they'll just throw stuff like in there that just kind of goes like that just makes no sense at all to me so and you wonder why they even write it without you know thinking about it i I don't know they just it would be different if it was a cadet or somebody like that but she's she's got to be having you know some experience under her belt she's a lieutenant a helmsman in Starfleet and hasn't piloted out of space dock. Okay, that's enough about that. Um, the uh, the next area, of course, they meet Gorkin, they meet Chang. Uh, I was I, I didn't feel like really grabbing a lot of that. It, it's that a lot of those a lot of those scenes in this movie is more like the looks between the characters and how they react to each other, not so much the words uh, in the the script there. It, but it's uh, and then the whole dinner scene too. I didn't really get anything. But there's a scene in the uh, 
transporter room. I think they're about to leave uh, the Enterprise and go back. The Klingons are. And there's some good stuff there I tried to get for you. So uh, I'll play that for you now. We must do this again sometime. You don't trust me, do you? I don't blame you. If there is to be a brave new world, our generation is going to have the hardest time living in it. Captain Spock. Chancellor. Madam. Captain. Well, most kind. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Captain. Have we not heard the chimes? At midnight. Dach Did you see the way they ate? Parable table manners. I doubt that our own behavior will distinguish us in the annals of diplomacy. I'm going to sleep this off. Please let me know if there's some other way we can screw up tonight. I'm going to go find a pot of black coffee. A good scene there. The, the I like the, again, there's the little chimes you hear in that scene uh, in the background. I think it's supposed to be signaling the hour on the ship. Uh, nice little effect. Sounds very, to me, naval-like and, and kind of uh, just, to, and then Chang has a little line about, uh, you know, about hearing the, the chimes and just just nice little touches like that that uh, I, I think is all almost uh, Nick Meyer's influence on this. He's He always, you know, he had a lot to do with the way the these movies looked. He changed things quite a bit when he did Star Trek II and the uniforms and the look of the ship and made it a little more military, a little more naval, and that continues in this in this movie as well. The next uh, clip, this is uh, the big uh, big thing that happens with the torpedo being shot at the uh, the Klingon vessel, the Klingon ship that has uh, the Chancellor aboard it. Uh, oh, I also wanted to say something in regards to the way they beam uh, people in and out in this movie. Very interesting. They kind of changed that a little bit. You see the people actually like turning and looking and, and, and the special effects that they do in the beaming process really enjoy the way and that they do it here it's it's definitely a little different than they've done it before and i think it's uh, really interesting there uh but the next scene where the the torpedo fire goes off this is uh, very uh, n- nice the way they did it uh i think it really it, it fools the crew it looks like they fired they're checking things out uh and of course you've got the then uh all the gravity gets shut off in the klingon ship which is very neat they they, the way they did that, and you know, you never really think about that when you watch Star Trek of the that they're all using artificial gravity on these ships, and they go through space, and it, it always works. It's so complicated and expensive to wire people up and have them float around when gravity's not there that they don't. It's a very rare thing wherever that uh, happens. The only show that I think they really tried to explore that a little bit more with was Enterprise. They did that a few times uh, with uh, with a certain area of the ship. They were able to switch gravity, and they could kind of float in there. 
uh, it was uh, it was kind of cool that they did that. And but again, they didn't really do that a lot either in the movies or the TV. But in this movie, they did. It was kind of important part to the movie. And then you have the whole assassination scene, which I didn't create uh, much of that or. You know, that's mainly visual, so there wasn't a grab. But the next clip is the torpedo firing on the Klingon ship. Oh, I also have to mention all that Klingon purple Klingon blood. Uh, That was a a kind of a slick little Star Trek trick that they tried to do. Star Trek trick, say that uh, ten times fast. But if they had made that blood, all the blood that's floating around there, red... They would have been a little in trouble with the uh, the MPAA, the rating board uh, for the movie. They could have ended up with maybe you know having an R-rated Star Trek movie. Oh my, that'd be different. So they decided, hey, we're these are aliens, they're Klingons. Let's give them some weird colored blood and make it look like almost Jello or pudding or I don't know what it looks like, but it doesn't really look like blood because it's not got that deep red color. So they 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 pulled off a little tricky uh, switch there, which is uh, kind of neat. So that's uh, that's why the Klingon blood is that color. So the next clip, here you go, torpedo away. What's happened? We have fired on the Chancellor's ship. Torpedo room, please confirm. Have we fired? Zero six. Uhura monitor. Aye, sir. Direct hit. Confirmed, sir. Fire those torpedoes. Negative, Captain. According to inventory, we're still fully loaded. Okay, I've got to uh, move things along a bit. We're getting a little long in the podcast already. So uh, I'm going to skip ahead to uh, once uh, Kirk and McCoy are taken to Rurapente. Here's a scene in uh, the prison of them talking about kind of their lives and where they've gotten to in their careers and everything. And uh, some good uh, moments here between uh, Dr. McCoy and Captain Kirk. Three months before retirement. What a way to finish. We're not finished. Uh, Speak for yourself. One day, one night, Kobayashi Maru. Bones, are you afraid of the future? I believe that was a general idea that I was trying to convey. I don't mean this future. What is this? Multiple choice? Some people are afraid. Of what might happen. I was terrified. What terrified you specifically? No more neutral zone. I was used to hating Klingons. It never even occurred to me to take Gorkin at his word. Spock was right. Try not to be too hard on yourself. We all felt exactly the same. No. Somebody felt a lot worse. I'm beginning to understand why. Well, if you've got any bright ideas, now's the time. Time's the problem. 
You and I are nothing. But you heard the judge. The peace conference is on again. Whoever killed Gorkin is bound to attempt another assassination. Yeah, it's good, and, and eventually they, they get off the uh, planet. Uh, if you notice, there's a scene where Kirk and McCoy first leave the Enterprise when they're taken, uh, or they go over to the Klingon ship. Uh, Spock slips this little patch on the back of Kirk's shoulder, which allows them to track them later on and gets them off the planet with the help of Martia, the shape-shifting Iman, uh, the actress uh, Iman who plays Martia on the planet, uh, who eventually turns into Kirk. They have that little fight, and then they get aboard or get beamed away. Uh, they blast one of the uh, the Klingon guards, blast the uh, the Martia character who's looking still like Kirk. So that's a fun little scene. It, it's uh, those two fighting two Kirks. There's some good lines in there, but I didn't capture any of that. I'm going to move uh, pretty quickly ahead now to the scene between Spock and Kirk in, in Spock's quarters back aboard the Enterprise. I'm also blasting past the, the area where they interrogate Valeris for information, and Spock does the little forced mind meld on her. Uh, one thing I do want to say about that scene, though, it's you can really see the disappointment and, and, and really anger in the character of Spock, you know, being played by Leonard Nimoy. He's very disappointed in Valeris, and to, to force this mind meld on her to get information is a very... Uh, well, it's, a, it's something Vulcans would, would really don't like to do, and, and it's he, he is so disappointed and so angry with her, and his half-human, I think, side is coming out there a bit, that he goes goes ahead and does it and gets the, uh, the names of the conspirators, uh, you know, some of the Starfleet officers involved, and the, even the Romulan ambassador and all that, and Colonel West uh, in Starfleet headquarters, and Admiral Cartwright, it's... Uh, he gets a lot of information from her, but at a price, and it's uh, it's a it's an amazing scene. It's it's really hard to watch, actually. I think they do an amazing job with that. Uh, Kim Cattrall and Leonard Nimoy do a great job there. But the next scene, though, the clip I'm playing now is Kirk and Spock talking in Spock's quarters. You were right. It was arrogant presumption on my part that got us into this situation. You and the doctor might have been killed. The light is young. You said it yourself. It was logical. Peace is worth a few personal risks. You're a great one for logic. I'm a great one for rushing in where angels fear to tread. We're both extremists. Reality is probably somewhere in between. past the death of my son. I was prejudiced by her accomplishments as a Vulcan. Gorkin had to die before I understood how prejudiced I was. Is it possible that we two, you and I, have grown so old and so inflexible we have outlived our usefulness. Would that constitute a joke? Don't crucify yourself. It wasn't your fault. I was responsible. For no actions but your own. That is not what you said at your trial. That was as captain of the ship. Human beings. But, Captain, we both know that I am not human. Spock, you want to know something? Everybody's human. I find that remark 
Insulting. Come on, I need you. Okay, and and quicking quickening up the pace a bit, uh, like I have been in the last couple of minutes. Sorry about that. Uh, the next clip. This is after, of course, they've discovered the bird of prey, and and they blasted that out of the sky with that special torpedo that McCoy and Spock make. Uh, which you know, why why is Doctor McCoy helping out with some kind you know piece of engineering? Don't they have a lot of engineers on the ship anyway? Yeah, they, it's he's a main actor on the show. Why they use him so? But we'll go to the scene uh, right after they save uh, the president uh, on on the. Um, Kittimer uh, at the peace conference, and this is a, a, a good scene here at, near the end of the movie where Kirk uh, talks about uh, peace and the future. What's happened? What's the meaning of all of this? It's about the future, Madam Chancellor. Some people think the future means the end of history. Well, we haven't run out of history quite yet. Your father called the future the undiscovered country. People can be very frightened of change. You've restored my father's faith. And you've restored my son's. So the Enterprise saves the day again. Uh, the last scene, this is the, uh, a very nice way that they ended the movie and they ended the movie series with the original crew. They have the scene on the bridge. They're all together except for Sulu, of course, who's off in the Excelsior as captain. Uh, it, it's uh, it, They pull them all together. Kirk has this sort of last uh, captain's log. Uh, I've got this last clip to play. And the the really cool thing they did at the very end of the movie is they allowed the actors to sort of sign off uh, their names. Uh, there was a little debate at the time or a little question of whether they would sign as their their characters, you know, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and so forth, or whether the actors would sign more of like an autograph type thing. But for uh, for a variety of reasons, they decided to go with the, the actors signing their real names, which... I could have probably gone either way with it. It would have been fine either way. I think the the actors signing signing off like that makes more sense. It was supposed to be there, supposed to be signing off like the final log entries because they're you know the Enterprise is being decommissioned and all. But here's the last scene aboard uh, the Enterprise there in this movie. So listen to this, and I'll be right back. I think it's about time we got underway ourselves, Captain. I have orders from Starfleet Command. We're to put back to space dock immediately. To be decommissioned. If I were human, I believe my response would be... Go to hell. If I were human. Course heading, Captain. Second star to the right. And straight on till morning. 
Captain's Log, Stardate 9529.1. This is the final cruise of the Starship Enterprise under my command. This ship and her history will shortly become the care of another crew. To them and their posterity will we commit our future. They will continue the voyages we have begun and journey to all the undiscovered countries, boldly going where no man, where no one, has gone before. And there they go, sailing off into the sunset. The crew of the Enterprise, the original crew of the Enterprise, uh, a very, very fitting end uh, to their saga and to the movies that they did together. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country from 1991. Uh, one of my favorites of the movie movie series. And let's play now the Moyers take on uh, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country with Rick and Nathan, I believe. So listen to this, and then I'll be back in a few. Hi, this is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this is, is the, the Father and Son, Son Review. Review. Well, today we get the pleasure of reviewing or talking about Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. To be or not to be. Whatever. the question. Yeah. Great show. Oh, yeah. What do you think? What did you think uh, of Star Trek VI? One of my favorite ones. It was the one of the most cinematography, whatever word that could be. Um, it was pretty. Yes, it was pretty. They did a great job. Visually pretty. We watched it tonight on my computer, and Nathan and I were watching it, kind of doing some other things, but watching it at the same time. And it was really awesome to see how they filmed that movie. I mean, every shot was creative. It was The colors were rich. And Kirk had a good acting performance. He that, really that did. William good. Shatner did a great job acting, as all of the actors did. Even your favorite buddy from uh, the old series, um, Janice Rand. Oh, she Janice. did a pretty good job. And Sulu, of course, was back again, which is always great to see him. Commander Rand. <laughs> it was great. I like my tea. Extra hot, Captain. S- so, okay, so let's talk about some of our favorite parts. Of course, Sulu on the Excelsior was Sulu, cool. Sulu was awesome. Um, what did you think of the dinner scene? When they're guess all at dinner. coming for... I can't even do it. Right? The, the Russian guest yeah. who's coming to dinner. Yeah. That was an awesome scene, though. And uh, I thought it was just great. Isn't Romulan nail illegal? That's the advantage of being a thousand light years from Starfleet headquarters. <laughs> um, how about the whole... Um, the One of the best scenes on there was the magnetic boot scene. I remember being if in the... the shoe fits, wear it. No, not that scene. Oh. The, the scene where they actually beam <laughs> over to the Klingon ship. <laughs> Yeah, that was awesome, and they're like shooting the guy's arm off, and the cool little blood droplets floating in the air. I think that was the first bit of CGI that was done in Star Trek movies, and it was just fabulous. I mean, I remember sitting in the theater thinking, "Wow, it this looks is sort of awesome." Like a video game now, though. It does, but it was really cool for the time, and it really—I think it holds up. It was fantastic stuff over there with the anti-gravity and everything like that. That was awesome. Um, what did you think of how tense it was when McCoy and Kirk beam over to Gorkon's ship? And they're trying to save him. That was just an incredible scene. Of whack! 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 Yeah. Wake up, darn it! Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was just awesome, I thought. It was very good. Uh, let me see. What else did you like about it? Did you like well, anything I, I liked how Odo was in there. Yeah, I, that was cool. I played Odo. Seeing Rene Abadre, whatever you say his name like. Yeah, yeah he was cool. Colonel name. West was what he was. And then what else? Um, the new lieutenant, the um, Vulcan lady. Valeris. Yes. Well, they, She's she on was... Sex in the City now. Or oh, she, I, I she didn't started know that. that too. I, yeah. I didn't know that. 
So, yeah. Well, anyway, there she is. She also, remember that one show she did where she was a mannequin and she came to life? That show, she was the star of that show, too. What show was that? It was that? an old movie where she came remember. to life in a department store. She was a mannequin and this guy fell in love with her. That's right. Oh, I remember. I just yeah, watched yeah. that in USA or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what about seeing Worf in there? That was kind of cool. Commander Worf. Wasn't, it was Commander his grandfather? Worf's grandfather, yes. I don't remember the name of the guy. Um, he was still a wimp back then. Uripenthe, or how do you, however you say that, the name of the, the alien graveyard. Kind of a cool prison graveyard. scene. It was cool. And then, let me see. Uh, anything else that you liked about the movie other than I'm going to talk about the themes of the movie that I really enjoyed? Anything else you liked about the movie? How about that lady that transformed into Kirk? And he was beside oh, himself. Was the changeling lady? He was yeah, in love that, with that himself. that was the first changeling, actually. That was cool. No, it wasn't the first. It wasn't the first, but it was cool looking. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Well, anyway, um, so the themes in the movie that we really well, got a kick the, out of. Except the whole point with her, him kissing himself. That was sort of weird. That was gross. Anyway. Yeah, but the whole theme I thought was great was it, it dealt around prejudice. Uh, it, you know, the whole theme behind the theme was prejudice and resistance to change. A lot of different themes going on during it, and uh, I took all around it had great special effects, great acting. It was the best Star Trek movie, right up there with Wrath of Khan. And uh, I'm gonna give it. Are you ready for this? A five. I give it a five stars because oh it was one of my favorite movies of all time. What do you give it? 4.9. 4.9. just can't give yourself up no, to a 5. No, I can't give huh? myself up to a 5. All right, there you go. We loved it. Um, Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. To be or not to be, that, that is, is the, the question. question. Uh, this is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this has been the, the Father, Father and Son, Son Review. Review. Well, thanks, thanks, guys, as always. Uh, you always bring out some things and some points that I don't mention as much of, so it really rounds out the, the discussion about a, whatever episode or movie that I'm covering. So I really really appreciate that uh that movie was called mannequin by the way the one you're referring to that uh kim cattrall did where she was a mannequin and that came to life that was that movie um but anyway that thanks a lot guys always appreciate it and uh it sounds like you enjoyed the movie just as much as i did uh one of the greats of the star trek movie series the undiscovered country go check it out if you haven't seen it in a while Okay, very, very quickly, since I was going to do one last week, didn't ran out of time, and uh, but I'm going to slide in a quick collectible discussion review here. I, I think I need to do a, uh, a little mini separate podcast sometimes and just talk about collectibles, what's, what's on the horizon, what I've been uh, looking at and eyeing, that kind of thing. So look for a, maybe a mini podcast. I know I didn't get one in last week, but maybe this coming week I'll try to slide one in. But the collectible I wanted to talk about today is a Star Wars collectible. It is from Gentle Giant, and it is a small uh, uh, bust of Yoda. It's a kind of a small little statue bust of Yoda. It is called the Spirit of Yoda, and it kind of lights up. It's supposed to sort of simulate uh, Yoda's appearance after he sort of passed into the Force, you know, in, in Return of the Jedi and how he shows up at the end of the movie uh, when Luke sees him out there with his father and Obi-Wan. It's a neat little piece. Only about, I think it's about four inches or so high. It's kind of made out of sort of a uh, translucent plastic material uh, that it has a small light inside. There are three batteries it comes with, uh, three little watch-type size batteries that sit in the bottom of it. And there's a small switch on the bottom of it. And when you push it, it lights up. And it looks pretty cool in uh, when you when you darken the room. I'll try to, I'll put some pictures, of course, up on the collection gallery so you can get a better idea of what this looks like. But it's a neat little item. It was actually a uh, 
Gentle Giant, uh, I think it was for uh, Celebration 4. It was an exclusive to that. However, they had some extras, and I managed to get one. They sent out, if you're a Gentle Giant uh, Collector's Society member or whatever, there was a chance, uh, sort of a drawing they did to to win, or you still have to pay for it to get one of these, and I, I was fortunate enough to, do, to uh, win that. So I didn't even have to go to the con to do that. So that was kind of nice. So the Spirit of Yoda, Gentle Giant, nice little item. Probably can still find them on eBay. I think they're only about 40 or $50, not too bad for for an item like this. And, and it's a pretty good job that they did with it. Uh, I think it's pretty nice. And the light-up feature is rather unique, a little different, so I like that. All right, gang, this podcast this week, it lasted a little longer than I, I usually like, but I, I think we covered some good ground. Uh, didn't get a lot of news uh, out there, but I, I think that... Uh, you know, midsummer is a little slow on the news. The the big uh, Star Trek news coming here in a couple of weeks will be what is revealed. I, I, I'm reading all the producers, J.J. Abrams, and everybody involved in the Star Trek movie that they're working on will be at uh, the San Diego Comic-Con at the end of July. So hopefully a lot of things will be revealed there. Hopefully they haven't set things up for kind of, uh, hey, we're going to tell you everything, and then they don't. I, I have a feeling we'll at least get confirmation on what the plot and the storyline is going to be about maybe a little bit about who what actors they're they're going to get for the different parts and so forth so i I think that's all good they really got to get going on this i mean they're uh they're looking still at uh, christmas of 2008 for the release so this uh coming week i'm really looking forward to harry potter the next harry potter movie is coming out so i will probably be talking about that on next week's show along with another probably star trek episode review next next time maybe i'll do a full audio one for next week uh Look on the website and the forums for information on what's coming up on the show. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. I hope you have a great week. Enjoy your summer uh, wherever you're at. And I will talk to you again very soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye for now. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. You said don't talk fast, and that's how you show excitement. All right, talk a little faster. Okay. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. This podcast, copyright 2007, all rights reserved.